welcome to the Board Shorts podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Cook, and I'm here with another easy to digest dose of valuable board and company director related information designed to help you to get on board and thrive in the boardroom. You're listening to episode 36, and this is a deeply personal story that I'm sharing with you today. It's my stroke story. And it's really in recognition of National Stroke Week in Australia 2021 uh, at the beginning of August. And I thought that it was timely to use this as an opportunity to share a lot of the lessons that I've learned from having a stroke. So I share all these in today's episode. As you can imagine, it's something that is difficult for me to still talk about six years later. (laughs) So I would encourage you to probably put this uh, speed up to one and a half or two times the speed. There are moments where I'm trying to collect myself and make sure that I'm communicating a message in a clear and meaningful way. But this does make me a little bit slow. So if you're looking to speed that up, Um, please feel free to do that. I am sharing this story for some meaningful reasons, which I do share in this episode. So I appreciate you tuning in and listening to me share my stroke story in recognition of National Stroke Week 2021 in Australia. For some time now, I have wanted to start sharing my stroke story a little bit more, Um, partly to help in my own recovery and therapy, and partly because I feel like that there are some really valuable lessons in there that I have learned throughout this journey, if you want to call it that, throughout my recovery, that have really been brought home to me and that are worth sharing. So hopefully (laughs) we get through this session easily, uh, but there may be a few pauses and I may have to go away and come back a few times. uh, But just, I appreciate you bearing with me and coming on this little story time together. So I don't have a huge amount of notes like I normally do. Um, Something like this is just really hard to capture and script out. I mean, I've told the story a thousand times already. (laughs) So it's not like I need to really think it through. But I have written a few notes about what I've taken away and, and what I think you can do with this information as well. So it may not be a long session today in this episode, but I really think that there is some valuable information in here for everyone. So thank you for joining me. So my stroke story. As I was recording this, yesterday was my sixth year anniversary of having a stroke. And I happened to be one of the most extremely lucky cohort of people who did not end up with any type of serious externally 
viewable effects. I didn't have any impairments. I didn't have any um, disability or some of the usual outcomes of stroke that you would probably think of when you think about strokes, (laughs) which is what my picture of um, the outcomes of stroke being uh, having a droopy face, having one side of your body either completely paralyzed or with a significant reduction in its capacity to be used. I had none of that and extremely grateful for that. On top of it, my as I was having the stroke, the outward signs of it were not the classic uh, signs of a stroke that you normally find uh, people who are experiencing a stroke having, which I'll go through later because that's one of the lessons I want to take away from this is to raise your awareness of what it looks like when someone's having a stroke because there are some really um, critical things that you can do very quickly to help reduce the long-term outcomes of people who have experienced stroke. So we'll go through those later. So my outward signs were not the same as someone who um, you and I would probably think of having a stroke. I fell unconscious, which I've never been in my life, um, which just leading up to that, I was extremely dizzy. I laid down and I passed out and I was unconscious for an hour. (laughs) I woke up in a hospital emergency room, not knowing what had happened. Uh, Funnily enough, the first thought that actually came into my mind was that I had been hit by a car. (laughs) Why I thought that, I don't know. Um, But I remember vividly everything leading up to falling unconscious. I remember the feeling of falling unconscious. And I remember um, coming back to awareness with the doctor in the emergency room, holding my hand, tapping it lightly, calling out my name. Uh, So that was that was a big shock (laughs) to me. I I went into shock, which was interesting enough, uh, and hence they uh, brought my husband into the room, who was sort of the first person to call in the first responders when I had fallen unconscious and all of that sort of jazz. So I missed a lot of drama being unconscious around what happened in those that first sixty minutes. Uh, beside the point, though. So hence all the tests sort of start on you. When you're still in hospital, you get a a raft of specialists that come to you and they do a lot of tests. They do a CT scan. I had an epilepsy test and nothing was really showing up what had happened. And it wasn't until I got back to Adelaide. So I was in Sydney when it happened. I live in Adelaide. So I came back home to Adelaide. I went and had an MRI as you do. And that was when they picked up that I had had a stroke. You can imagine that the first thought that came to mind was that I was dying, (laughs) was that they found a brain tumour and I had six months to live. Um, Obviously, I looked shocked and surprised and asked why they would go ahead and do something like that while I was still in the machine. 
At which point they then took me over to the radiologist, the, the person that actually uh, reads and interprets the images that the MRI is producing, who walked me through the brain scans and he pointed out what he interpreted as a stroke. Right there, <laughs> bright as can be, right in the middle of my brain, right on my thalamus. And for those who are anatomy buffs, that's right in the center of your brain and it controls uh, consciousness and things like that, which explains why I went unconscious and was for an hour. And I subsequently learned that people who uh, have strokes in this part of the brain can end up unconscious for days rather than just an hour. So I was very lucky in that regard. Anyway, the radiologist is talking me through the the brain scans, the stroke. Um, he even knew how many days it had been since I had it, which was just incredible. And by this stage, it had been 12 days. Um he also pointed out what was, in his interpretation, what was evidence of an earlier stroke. So, <laughs> surprise, you've not only had one, but you've had two strokes. The first one being so small that you may not have even noticed that it happened. So, <laughs> having just gone through that and having no outward impairments and no consequences and outcomes of the stroke that you normally expect to see that I talked through earlier. This was extremely confusing news to receive. And you you know that it's been done, the damage has been done. And, and my question was what does it all mean? What, like, what? Well, I'm glad we have an answer. <laughs> but because there's nothing wrong with me, quote unquote, what does this all mean? What, what happens now? And what happened <laughs> after that was that you, you then go through a raft of tests. So I was 30 when the stroke happened. Anyone who, as I understand, is 45 or under, you're categorized as a young stroke victim. Um, consequently from that, you undergo two, two lots of tests. One is on your heart they actually look for a particular hole. It's called a PFO, a patent foramen ovale, depending on your pronunciation. So they check for this PFO and then they also do a lot of testing around autoimmune things. Apparently strokes are one of the symptoms of lupus and lupus is not a particular uh, sort of problem on its own. It's more a collection of 
symptoms that together they categorize as lupus and it has to do with autoimmune stuff. So you go through a whole range, a lot, a lot of blood tests uh, around that. And mine with that sort of came back a little bit on the edge, but nothing significant, nothing substantial that needed to be explored any further that didn't give us an answer around what caused the stroke to happen. The the heart issue, though, we it requires you to be heavily sedated because they have to view this particular hole in your heart from uh, within your esophagus. So they have to, in all intents and purposes, knock you out so they can shove something down your throat so they can see your heart from the inside looking out kind of thing. Um, <laughs> my scan in, in the... Um, cardiologist clinic wasn't successful. So they had to admit me to hospital where I was fully knocked out so they could do the test properly and really know what they were working with. And from that, they discovered that I did indeed have a PFO, that it was quite significant and was more than likely the reason behind a uh, me having a stroke. So there was a clot in the wrong place at the right time. <laughs> it got through, it ended up in my brain and um, the rest is history. So then you go in and you uh, go and get this hole plugged up. So some brilliant genius has invented this little device that goes in through an artery in your groin, sort of at the top. It's called your femoral artery at the top of your leg, kind of where your hip is. They lead up into the heart and they plug the hole with this little device. Um, there's actually a YouTube video that shows this as a, um, don't worry, it's not blood and guts. It's kind of like a, a cartoon kind of thing. Uh, where they show what happens with a PFO closure. If you're interested, check it out. <laughs> so we went in, uh, it got closed, story goes, takes a few months to fully recover from all that anaesthetic, getting it twice, so getting the test, and then a month or so later going in again and having the actual surgery. Um, and they go and check it and it's still there and the rest is history and life returns back to normal. But, you know, it, it didn't as much as when I tell people now I had a stroke, they're like, oh my God, it, you can't tell. No, you can't. All of my outcomes, uh, from it are inside, as you can imagine, dealing with being 30 years old and having had this happen <laughs> is a, quite the emotional roller coaster as you can probably tell as you can tell it still bothers me <laughs> also significantly having what is in my mind defined as survivor's guilt. Why did I have no impairments or disabilities or anything like that when the vast majority of other people, also other young people, younger than me, babies even can have strokes, just why me? Why do I 
not have anything quote unquote wrong? And why do they? What is that about? (laughs) I think that's a question that I'll be asking forever. And I think it's quite normal, so I don't beat myself up about it. Um, It certainly helps keep everything in perspective, which I think is a great lesson to share. It really drives me to make sure that what I do spend my time and energy on is really purpose-driven and that I listen to God, the universe, whatever it is, that I am on purpose, that I am doing those things that I feel like I should be doing. It also, having a stroke, as you can imagine, any sort of brain damage, I was exceptionally tired in the immediate month to six months following that. I mean, add on top of that a ton of anesthetic and that stuff just takes weeks for your body to really rid itself of. So the tiredness is something that's taken years and years to bring back to normal. Um, I don't know if it is back to normal, but you learn that sleep and rest is so critical for your brain And for so many other things as well, for your mood, for your energy, for your ability to make better decisions, it's so comprehensive. I used to be someone who was like, ah, sleep is for the week, I'll sleep when I'm dead, you know, and then I nearly was. (laughs) So if that sounds like your kind of attitude towards sleep, I would encourage you to really think that through and do a little bit of evaluation on that and see if that is something that you may want to incorporate into your overall well-being approach. So really that is the number one thing that going through this stroke has taught me. Sleep is vital. It also showed me how powerful our brains are. So me needing to sleep so much and rest was the brain's way of repairing itself, of finding new pathways, creating new pathways to do what it did before, but in other places of the brain. So what we can, what's usually called neuroplasticity. So when other parts of the brain pick up the job, when, when the parts that used to do it can't do it anymore. I, I learned a lot about that and our brains are exceptionally powerful like that and adaptable and flexible. And I think that that's just incredibly fascinating to learn and to witness and experience it in action. It also taught me the importance of energy management. We hear a lot about time management we don't hear enough about energy management. And that's really doing the things that keep your energy, your cognitive focus, all of that kind of stuff at a level that you can get done what you want to get done in a day. And energy management is so much more important than time management because Even with the best time management, if you don't have the energy to do things, to do the things that you've said you're going to do in those time slots, it's not going to happen. 
So you need the energy to be consistent. You need sleep to have the energy. (laughs) It also taught me compassion and empathy. Everyone is going through or has been through something significant. And even if you cannot see it on the outside, it is likely there under the surface. And my interactions with people now, I try and start from that position of empathy and compassion and understanding. And I think that is something that we should all take on board to some degree. You just don't know what people are going through, what's affecting their mind state in that moment. So this is a governance podcast, a board member podcast, really to help my mission, as I talked about, to help you to get on board and help you to thrive in the boardroom. So why does all this stuff about me having a stroke make sense in the boardroom? Well, I can talk from my perspective and it's made me realise that we're all human beings who require inputs to be able to give productive high-level outputs. We cannot produce 24-7 at a high level. We're not machines We don't just work and work and work and work and work and you just a little bit of oil here, a little bit of oil there and it just keeps going. You need to input the rest, the proper exercise, the proper nutrition, adequate hydration with water. (laughs) That is critical for your brain as well. Um, To be able to continue to produce at a high level and to be able to produce for meaningful outcomes. So the organisations that we serve through being on their boards need us to be the best that we can be so that that mission can be achieved out towards those people that they're serving. Also something that we don't talk enough about in the boardroom is that we have feelings. We're still people When we walk through the doorway into the boardroom, we don't all of a sudden become these robotic, feelingless machines just there to make purely economic-driven decisions. Many times we can take on the perspective that board members are really hard-nosed and board members really don't think about the workers, the employees at the end of the day. They're just worried about making more money and getting better shareholder returns. And I'm not saying that's not important, but what we can fall into the trap of is treating people in the boardroom, and this is on the same board, as if those people don't have feelings, as if those people aren't humans. And outside of the boardroom, we can take the viewpoint that these board members didn't think about others. They were just trying to make more money. I'm not saying that doesn't happen sometimes, but I'd like to think that most of the time, and this is speaking from experience, hard decisions are really hard to make, especially when they impact people, especially the employees. 
And really, if we don't treat ourselves as board members and each other in a positive way, our well-being in the boardroom is going to be influence and reflect the organisation's well-being. And that's something to keep in mind as well. And why I think me sharing this story today is something that you can take in your mind into the boardroom, into your board career. So after all that, what, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Why do I need to share my story? Well, firstly, I, I think it helps me <laughs> to work through um, such a crazy experience at such a young age. But the, the significant part of this is using my voice that so many other people who have suffered from stroke don't have that's one of the outcomes, is that you actually lose your ability to speak. I haven't done that, so I need to use my voice and my abilities and my platform, my audience, you guys who are listening, to raise awareness of stroke. One of the missions and the purposes of um, the philanthropic organisation in Australia, it's called Stroke Foundation, Uh, one of their purposes is to raise awareness of stroke, um, what it looks like when someone's experiencing a stroke and what you can do about it if you um, are with that person and they're experiencing stroke. Like I said, time is critical in that instance and I will get to that in a minute. Um, So I'm using that to spread that awareness and that message. Um, I'm, I'm looking to raise funds and champion preventative health activities and actions. A story that you may not know about me is that I actually started my life as a fitness instructor. Uh, Hilarious, I know. Um, But I quickly found out that fitness, well-being, um, living a healthy lifestyle, whatever you want to call it, was more a strong interest than a career path for me. Um, but I, I think that it's the foundation that we all need to build and maintain for ourselves in order to do the work that we want to do. And it turns out that more than 80% of strokes can be prevented. And at a minimum, the Stroke Foundation encourages us all to know what our blood pressure is. It's uh, indicative of our overall well-being and health. It's not the whole story. It's not the end of the story. But if you don't know your blood pressure, I would encourage you to know what it is. Sometimes at pharmacies, they they let you do it there. Um, I think Chemist Warehouse sometimes has a little setup. I'm not sure how it will be right now in COVID, but sometimes they have a little setup where you can just go and do it yourself, just out of interest. And the, the quote unquote normal range is 120 over 80. And if you do your blood pressure on your own or out elsewhere and you feel like it's outside of this range, whether it's it's lower, but especially if it's higher as well, that you then book in to see your doctor and talk that through. And they'll be able to do your blood pressure as well in the clinic while you're seeing them there. So at a minimum, know your 
blood pressure. And the other recommendations, of course, stay active, eat well, quit smoking. If you smoke, quit smoking and consume alcohol in moderation. It doesn't have to be rocket science, but you've got to be intentional about it. Um, So that's where I encourage you to live a healthy lifestyle is what we could call that. It's just, to me, it's just living, but most people want to call it live a healthy lifestyle. Um, I also want to raise money and I, and I am putting my money where my mouth is because what I would love to do is throughout August, um, the reason this episode's coming out is because it's stroke week and throughout the month of August, funnily enough, that's also my birthday month, I'm going to donate 1% of course revenue, so I'll be revenue, not profit, course revenue I'm going to donate through to the Stroke Foundation. So if you've been sitting on the fence about doing a course at Get On Board Australia through our academy or working with me personally, 1% of that revenue is going to be donated throughout August to the Stroke Foundation. If you feel drawn and compelled, you can also donate directly to the Stroke Foundation at strokefoundation.org.au. These guys were an incredible support during the initial stages of my stroke journey. And really it was behind that community of people who had been through what I'd been through. As weird as it is, you just feel so alone and so confused. But to have those people who just don't even know you to reach out and to say, I know what you're going through. I understand. I had my stroke when I was 30. Here's what happened. It just makes you feel less alone, less of a freak. (laughs) So if you would, if you feel compelled to donate to the Stroke Foundation, I would encourage you to do that. Um, They advocate for and support stroke survivors and invest in improving the outcomes for stroke survivors as well. And this year, Stroke Week is following the theme uh, United by Stroke, and it recognises the important role played by the first responders. And I'm incredibly grateful for the many first and secondary responders who helped me when I had a stroke as well. Um One of those people was my husband. He was the first on the scene. And one of those people could be you. It could be you being the first responder for someone, uh, one of your loved ones or someone on the street or a stranger who is experiencing a stroke. And so you need to, to know what those signs are. And the best thing you can do is to learn the acronym FAST, F A S T. And they follow the signs of um, the usual signs of someone experiencing a stroke. And these are the F stands for face. And it's if one part of their face is drooping. Uh, The A is for arms. They can't lift one or both of their arms. The S is for speech, uh, that it's slurred. And check that they understand what you're asking them. So if they seem confused and not sure what you're saying, that's a sign as well. And the T is for time. 
And that really requires you quickly calling triple O, and that's in Australia, or calling whatever uh, number makes sense in your country. And really timing is critical and it could be the difference between major consequences or minor outcomes for that person. Um, So they're really the important reasons behind me sharing my story. I really appreciate you uh, bearing with me for listening and taking on board what I've said. Really, at the end of the day, take care of yourself. Put the odds in your favour. Yes, I had a healthy lifestyle that didn't 100% stop me from experiencing a stroke, but heck, I think that it absolutely played a role in my recovery, in me bouncing back, if we can call it that, (laughs) although the bounce back took about three years, but I had that foundation already. I didn't have to start from scratch in living a healthy lifestyle. Um, I did have to work on my sleep. I'm not going to lie. And I probably need more sleep than normal. Uh, And so if that's something you want to do as well is work out what is your uh, adequate time asleep required. I know you hear a lot of seven to eight hours. I actually need nine. If you need nine, get nine hours of sleep a night it will be so worth it. Uh, I promise you that. (laughs) That is one thing you take away from today. Get some sleep, please. Uh, but, But thank you so much. I appreciate you being here, hearing this story. If you feel compelled, please donate. Or if you're really looking to do a course around getting on board or thriving in the boardroom, check out getonboardaustralia.com.au forward slash academy and you will find a bunch of courses there. Sign up in August and I'm sharing 1% of course income to the Stroke Foundation uh, in recognition of Stroke Week, my stroke anniversary and my birthday something to always celebrate but I wish you well and I will catch you in the next board shorts episode thanks for listening